0: Hello everyone, this is season four, episode eight of the Green Data Center podcast. And of course, a reminder to like and subscribe to hear more and do visit the website, greendatacenterman.com. You can contact us there, send us an email or just fill out the contact information and we'll get back to you. You can also find links to the latest events as well as resources so that you can keep up to date on the latest news in the data center industry. We also have links for the data center essentials series classes that you can find on Udemy, and those links are going to the cheapest discounts that you can get on those courses. Now they were set up so that anyone in the data center industry can either get a refresh or or fill in some gaps of items they might not know about, but it helps to launch their career into the data center business. If you have any questions about them or their content, again, feel free to reach out. Happy to answer and get connected okay first thing is first we have had an entire year of this project basically developing and publishing episodes 44 episodes throughout the last year the aim was to have weekly episodes we missed that mark by about eight episodes but that's okay but we got to the intent that we had originally wanted to do and that was to get out more information about green data centers what the industry was doing and how sustainability was being adopted by the data center industry of course there were many tangents we followed a lot of the business deals the mergers and acquisitions awards all sorts of different industry events And now what we're looking to do is take this to uh, dial it down just a tad. So you might not see the episodes published as frequently as we originally intended. All right. What does dialing down mean? Well, we originally had the project set so that we would have this for one year with an average of one episode a week. Uh, Again, fell a little bit short of that, but that's okay. Um, What we're talking about instead is one episode, maybe a quarter and use that episode to do it as a summary to see what's happened over the last you know two three months to make sure that we're really focused on the major items that we should be paying attention to so a lot of podcasts will just sort of fade away and die out what we want to do is be transparent about what we're looking to do so even though you like and subscribe what we're looking to do is just let you know and making this announcement that it might be a few months before we have the next podcast come out well why slow down why uh, not keep going at it well there was a few things on the indicators and stats even though we had thousands upon thousands and thousands and thousands of listeners and downloads it's one of those where look how much are we investing and how much time does it take to get each one of these episodes complete so even though this is just the single voice type of format, and we don't have the interview format that a lot of other podcasts have, um, it is informational, and because of that, there is still a lot of back-end work that needs to happen. Now, the podcast production and everything, that's one piece, but also the research behind everything that's going on there, that's thrilling to me, even though it's a dry read, and you know, even though it's a dry podcast, this one is... It's still one of those, it takes a lot of time to digest that and then have an output where we can format that into the podcast and convey that properly. So what this means is, as we're, we've been at this project for a year, we are going to dial down some of that time there and then be able to ramp up on some other projects that we have, whether it's articles that are written or its involvement in sustainability in the data center industry and how do we push that forward with different certifications or different aspects. It doesn't mean everything's just going to suddenly disappear overnight. Do feel free to reach out, and if there's anything that needs an article update or anything like that, or any of these podcasts from the past need updating, or if you have questions about, um, looking forward to hearing about it. And again, we don't know the format going forward, but we're going to select that as we go. And again, we're probably going to take the top things over the last couple months that we should really know about in data centers and green building and sustainability, and really try to hone it down, distill that, and really have it focused for any future episodes. Let's talk about a new data center company called Radius DC. This was just recently launched by IPI, and IPI, if you don't know them, they're an investment firm. So if you think of the major investment firms that bring a lot of capital behind that digital infrastructure and data centers, they're one of the big ones. And uh, they've had a couple other data center companies that they've gone ahead and bought and then merged them together. So if you recall Infomart, um, say several years back, and T5, also several years back, well, they took the assets from both of those companies, which weren't necessarily the same, they had um, not many overlaps as far as what they're looking at for their data centers and their target audiences, um, for the most part, and they were able to merge those two companies and into stack infrastructure, and stack infrastructure has been going strong since 2019. So you might be asking, well, why have another company and call it Radius DC? Well, Radius is developed by IPI to be more of the edge data center company. So they're there to compete not with what Stack is doing on their infrastructure development, but they're looking at that edge growth and they're saying we need to fill this gap in the market because it's not just those major markets that are that we're going after, it's everything that's out there. All the other cities that are underserved or served to a degree, but it's been sort of haphazard um, cobbling together. What they're looking to do is do the same thing and replicate it around all these other cities. So what I'm looking at is they're really making a play with stack infrastructure going after the hyperscale market and being a, a build to suit developer on that side, as well as developing their own real estate across Europe, as well as staying pretty stable and steady in the United States. Now they might be looking to go ahead and serve those bigger customers wherever they might be, but also provide through Radius DC the capability to have something very structured to get out to all of those other cities or major networks, wherever their hubs might be. So if they feel like they're underserved in a certain location, or they want to push out data to be more on the edge, like a lot of companies are looking to do, this is one way to do it. Now with IPI backing them, they can go ahead and start to acquire some sites like they did uh, late last year. They acquired a site in denver colorado and they're already investing in that to reopen it as a new data center space this year so you can see how quickly they're looking to turn around some of these spaces in order to make them become available now if you think about denver colorado yes it's it's got some data centers but it's not necessarily known as a data center hub like uh, many of the other spots throughout the united states or the world but it proves the point of what radius dc is looking to do and them coming to Denver, as well as all the other major markets. Think of the cities that have a major sports league team that's involved there, but don't necessarily have a major data center hub. They're probably targeting those cities to start with, as well as some of the other minor cities that might be uh, more of the suburbs or outer cities of some of those big cities as well. Now think about the maturity also of that um, modular market and to me that looks like a good play where they might be able to set up a lot of these manufacturers to go ahead and provide new equipment or specialized um, equipment that fits their particular portfolio that they're looking to launch especially when they're looking to say wedge things in certain locations or cities and looking at that cheaper real estate along with that power availability what can they do are they going to be able to launch say two megawatt or four megawatt five megawatt blocks those kinds of things and do that everywhere. And if you can start to do that in a lot of locations and be able to manage that thoroughly, that's probably going to be a a very good position for them. Now, do they have competition? Absolutely. There's already been some of those players that have been out there for a while, um, those that have built things up from the edge. Um, And, you know, think of those edge-named companies, but also um, Evoke is another one. And they've got a major backer as well with Brookfield behind them. So if you think about that, what they've been doing has been growing with those major markets, but also in some of those other markets as well to provide a unique service that's going to be probably on par, if not better than what Radius DC or Stack has been providing thus far. And that goes along with all the services that that Evoke can provide, not just the the data center space, and be able to have somebody move in and, and be operational. Evoke is basically doing it in a very fast fashion so they've got some competition or radius dc has some competition on that so maybe they're going to be competitive on price instead but again the price is pretty competitive so they're really winning out in the market in a lot of ways so we'll see how these uh these firms go at it and uh what might come between the two of them as they uh as they progress but looking more for radius dc and what their next moves are going to be as well as how much money IPI is going to invest in in the growth of that before they start looking at other, other means maybe with less competition. next I wanted to discuss the carbon accounting of data centers and that discussion that was had at the JLL data center forum in park city, Utah. And that had three prominent members of the I Mason's climate accord group. And they discussed how the carbon can be done in order to achieve better results for the overall carbon accounting of a data center. It was a good discussion. And I encourage you to go watch it um, as There was a lot of the discussion about how to advance and how data centers can go ahead with the imasons climate accord can go ahead and lead the effort across the industry for how to go ahead and register and deal with the carbon aspects of a data center and it's not just the operational carbon right they also talked about embodied carbon as well and of course embodied carbon is a huge huge aspect you're talking about all of the materials that go into the data center itself as well as everything that makes a server so where is all that source so we are talking about what levels what scopes we're looking at the one two three etc for all of that embodied carbon that goes into every single piece of the data center now it was mentioned that there's some methods and metrics that can be used such as the environmental product declaration the epd And that quantifies the amount of carbon and also the life cycle of a particular product. So it's looking for that end-to-end sort of numbers that you can go ahead and say what it's going to be over the life cycle of that particular product. And there's also ISO, the International Standards Organization, for carbon accounting as well that could be used. Now, one of them mentioned, oh, this could take the same path as PUE, where we go ahead and adopt it, and everyone just starts using that as a metric. But it was also recognized, fortunately, it was recognized that the more deep dive you do on carbon accounting, just like PUE, typically it gets worse. So the thing about PUE is, though, it can be easily manipulated. So I don't like that it would take that same path. Uh, I find that PUE, as an analogy here, is... um, poor at best so we would not want to necessarily take that as an adoption path we would want to take some other thing as an adoption path even say like for labeling and such use energy Star as an adoption path uh, or even as an analogy even it seems to be much better and looks to go towards the products themselves and it was even mentioned uh, the epd that to use that we're talking about that cost just to get that going is five thousand ten thousand dollars us dollars per product so there's a hurdle there for that adoption let alone anything else that's going to be part of that um, that adoption using those tools so the other piece of that is on the construction side and renovation side a lot of the construction firms out there are already looking at their sustainability tracking tools and what they can get. So they recognize that that's a big demand. So they're looking anytime that they're ordering glass or steel or concrete, and they know. That those are going to be the big ticket items they can go ahead and figure out how much that carbon impact is going to be and to do that tracking for those major data center companies and it's not just the hyperscalers um, whenever you look at it it's also the co-location firms whenever they're doing those renovations and such they can also get that captured straight from those contractors those builders that are doing that as well as having the design firms involved maybe to go ahead and pick a lower carbon uh, overall output product. And between the construction and the design teams, they can maybe achieve a much less or much reduced carbon output for a particular design choice or particular build choice. Now, one of the nice things about the climate accord that the iMasons has gotten going is they're looking to see how they can proceed from here. And one of the things, of course, that was asked for was, we need information. And a lot of these companies, they already have a lot of this information, but they're looking for people to be more open and transparent and publish it. The issue, of course, with that is whoever does that first, second or third even, or even if you start doing it more and more, it just opens you to you know that, that uh, scrutiny where people can go ahead and throw darts and say, well, did you think about this or think about that and you're not doing good enough? But uh, I will liken it to PUE where you don't want to necessarily measure against anyone else, you want to measure for your own sake. That's what I use PUE for nothing else. And that's to improve yourself your own data center, you don't use it to uh, see how you're comparing to somebody else. You're looking to just use that to do your own comparisons. And I think this is what a lot of these companies are looking at because they don't even understand how many tons of carbon that they're looking at per data center operationally, let alone the embedded carbon that they're looking at as well. So a lot of companies just don't want to publish the amount of carbon tons that they've got, again, because they're going to be a target for that. Instead, in order to release that data, they might say, well, we are doing X percentage better. Say we're doing 5 or 10% better than we did last year. That would be great. And then internally, they could have their own private numbers and rely on third-party audits to go ahead and have that proved so that they can release internally their own reports for stakeholders etc. And keep that more private and then publish out the percentage, of course, um, per data center or per site or even for their fleet of data centers if they have one, they can go ahead and publish that on the percentage reduced year over year. Now go ahead and sign up for iMasons and you'll be you, you pay a fee in order to be part of the group, but you can go ahead and be part of those working groups to get the inside information. And those working groups are looking to come together to have that common framework again in order to have that understanding of what people are going to release, who's going to have what. But you'll also have an understanding of what people are looking for and how to go ahead and measure your data center so that it's useful information and then how to improve from there. That to me is going to be more impactful than anything. And just a note on joining iMasons, yes, you will be asked a lot of information about where you rank in your firm or what experience you may have or how many publications you have and so on. And all that is for the leadership of iMasons to understand and rank, you know, which companies that you're with and and find the big names so that they can have them uh, lead these groups and such. In a lot of ways, it's not really fair because there's a lot of these boots on the ground people that understand data centers in and out. And there's also a lot of people that are uh, in upper management or middle management. I couldn't tell you the difference between like a, you know, a ring bus and a microgrid, for example, but they're there. They understand the overall concepts and they can aggregate that information for their company. And that's why they're part of that senior leadership. But don't get discouraged. There's all of these working groups that you can absolutely prove yourself and improve your data centers from day to day. Now, back to the talk, it was pretty interesting because it went in all sorts of places. I mean, with sustainability, there's so many discussions I've been part of where it just goes on so many tangents. Um, it's just so easy to get involved with, oh, let's talk about the perme- permeability of our paving materials. Uh, such a small, small piece of that. But they, they talked about that in this in this discussion as well. As some of the other things, uh, you know, yes, it's great to have those little nuances and those little nuggets that you can go ahead and point out as, as your gems to talk about of what you're doing, maybe other people aren't doing it and it's a suggestion that other people can take forward. But if you do uh, some serious reading and, and understand like the sustainability movement and some of those things, you realize that there's so many of these things that can be applied to what the data centers are doing. It's just capturing that and assigning a project or program manager to go ahead and make those things happen at a particular data center site data centers are particularly complicated already to begin with. And then we're adding on all of these extras that go along with sustainability. A lot of people just don't want to pay attention to those nuances. So go ahead and assign somebody, get somebody else involved that can go ahead and tackle those things and then prove the point by looking at the metrics and what they're doing. How do they understand a certain thing? And what are the improvements that they're looking at? Then all of that, of course, can dial right up in into their sustainability program for their overall company improvements. And when you go through all of that sustainability effort, you know, even as an upper level manager, you'd be able to see, look, even though we've talked about some of those gems, and they might be just standalone things at a certain campus you'll understand that there's a whole treasure trove of things to talk about by the time you add it all up. And that to me is more important that you can go ahead and say, well, here's some of the things on that treasure that we had to to leave behind, we could only carry so much on this particular data center. But there are things that could be added later or improved later. And whenever you're looking at that whole sustainability solution, you start to understand what are the major ones? What's the real prize piece out of that treasure chest that you're going to go ahead and strive for and again that's one of those where if you're doing data center construction the concrete the glass the steel those are the major items that you're striving for there on the operations how are we doing that to save water and energy and on the design how are we maybe electing to have more efficient equipment it might cost more but overall it's going to save us so much more in the long run or even the short run that you can make those decisions with the design and construction team. And it's that that really starts to bubble to the surface as opposed to one of those one-offs where, yeah, let's add some solar solar panels to the roof so we can power our office lights. Yeah, okay, that looks good, great, but I think everybody's beyond seeing that as that greenwashing sort of effect. It's good, but it's not doing anything for your IT and the data center. So we're getting to that point where we can really have the data centers with the amount of energy that they use be that leadership role and i'm glad to hear about this one with jll and what they really sponsored here as well as hearing more about the i mason's climate accord and what they're going to be doing next okay let's return back to talking about fuel cells and um for data centers they've been operating for a while now with a couple different groups as well as some government entities and that's with some of the major uh, fuel cell operators Um, if you want to think about bloom energy or fuel cell technology there's a couple different companies that um, are really huge on the fuel cells as well as providing fuel cells for data center customers or um, you might want to just say mission critical customers Now this really came to prominence because we're looking at those markets say ireland and singapore uh, uh, that are starting to come across limitations based on the amount of power available and because of that well we're limited by the amount of power well whether it's production capacity or transmission either way you want to look at the alternatives and especially for say singapore or ireland where you're looking at well Guess what, we have this certain case where we really want to land a data center there, but because of the power demands of that data center, well, it's gonna steal from somebody. So what if we took that data center and landed it there, but we operated on our own power? So that's what a lot of these operators are looking to do. Equinix made the news because they're a huge data center operator and they um, are playing with using hydrogen fuel cells for their data center in singapore and they've partnered with the center for energy research and technology cert to launch a research project where they're using that hydrogen power and they're using it as a green fuel source in other words they'll have hydrogen manufactured somewhere in sustainable method bring the hydrogen to the data center and able to operate those fuel cells So those fuel cells can go ahead and operate, you know, for days and days, months and months on end, as long as you have the fuel for it. But it's just making sure that you have that that supply and everything works out in that chain, so that you're not breaking that chain at all. And you know, suddenly you need the grid power to go ahead and operate your data center. That's the risk, of course, the, to the the grid operators. But what Equinix is looking at is, well, what if we just took all of that on ourselves and tried to keep our data center off of the grid as much as possible and not rely on it? And if we do, maybe we rely on it with a reduced capacity. Now, what's really nice about the hydrogen fuel cells that we're looking at, and they're the PEM style, the proton exchange membrane, that stands for the PEM or PEM, and it's really easy to turn them on and off. And that's what's really, um, really good for them to operate in the automotive industry, but also as sort of a backup generator. They can replace these backup generators. And if you recall, Microsoft was looking at this, we talked about this before, about replacing some of those backup generators with three megawatt Uh, or even smaller two, three megawatt fuel cells that can operate off of hydrogen and go ahead and be ramped up quickly so that they can go ahead and provide any sort of backup power that's needed at these data centers. Now, a lot of companies are turning to these fuel cells and not just for those hydrogen fuel cells, but can also use natural gas and can go ahead and operate off of those uh, continuously. Now, what about natural gas? Yes, natural gas fuel cells operate in much the same way, but usually they just have a fuel processor, and that's converting that natural gas fuel to hydrogen. So if you think about the chemical formula, we're looking at hydrogen as just being like that H2, and that natural gas has that methane, and it could be 70 to 99% methane. A lot of people just think of it as pure methane, but we've got that chemical formula of CH4. So if you think pound per pound, like by my molecular weight and so on, we're actually having more weight and such behind natural gas. So uh, piping that natural gas around say uh, certain areas is going to be relatively easy because it's already there. And on top of that, whenever we're using natural gas, actually to fire a fuel cell, as opposed to a natural gas generator, a natural gas generator is going to be better than a diesel generator, but a natural gas fuel cell is going to be better than a natural gas generator. Now, add on top of that, um, with certain case studies, it, it really depends. But if you start to compare that transmission and the cost for the equivalent of that fuel cell, you're going to have a certain cost. And then about half as much is going to be that total fuel cell. Like if we've got the equipment cost for, say, two fuel cells of 400 kW capacity, we're talking about all that installation of being about $5 million or so. Then you can add on, look, we're going to have a 10-year fuel cell cost to the operation and maintenance, and we're going to have an insurance cost. And the operations and maintenance cost may be $10,000 to $15,000 a month. The fuel cell, fuel cell insurance cost might be around $35,000 a year. So by the time you're totaling all that together, but with the assets and depreciation that you're looking at and the ability for that fuel cell to operate over 20 years, your overall estimated, like if you're going in for that 10 year cost, you're saving about half at a 20 year cost, you're saving much more than that. So every year that you've got it, you're saving money. But the overall that payback that you're looking out for, say that 10 or 20 year payback is going to be looking at about half as much as that transmission as equivalent grid supplied power transmission as that of the fuel cell. There's a lot to understand about fuel cells and how they can operate. Um, There's also been a lot published on how they've been operating for a lot of standing data centers. Um, One of the longest ones out there has been at eBay out in Utah. So go ahead and look that one up. Um, And they might have some publicly available data that they might be able to share with you. But the intent, of course, is to understand how they've been operating and how often they've been replacing some of their components as well. Um, If there's older that are out there, I'd love to hear about them and understand how they've been operating. As I know, some uh, data centers have taken off the fuel cells altogether based on certain operational parameters. So I'd be looking forward to hearing some of those stories as well, if you've got them. Thanks. (music) A lot of us know how to go about creating a greener data center, and that's great. There's more training being involved, more education, and more applications in order to figure out what's good and what's best as far as the performance for a particular system or a particular data center. But what's becoming more transparent is where we get our electricity from, and that is being powered by the grid, and whatever grid that is that's where we're connecting and that's where we're pushing for everybody to have electric cars and have more electrification of practically everything yes it is much more efficient in a lot of ways however looking upstream we realize that in order to get that power there's a lot of inefficiencies whether it's just the production or the transmission in order to get that electricity to that end point where it's desired so that doesn't mean just changing your leaf blower from a gas power leaf blower to electric one that's that's one aspect but for data centers it can be another aspect because that green power mix within what's being provided from the grid can be low so that's where a lot of these data centers are looking to land in better areas or where they can get more renewable energy credits rex or have a power purchase agreement a ppa that can work with them to have greener supplied power now this is helping with a lot of those power companies and what they're looking to get as far as their power mix. So whether they're looking at the coal or other fossil fuel based uh, resources in order to generate electricity, or they're looking at the renewables or some of those more reliable renewables such as um, hydroelectric, how are they operating with those uh, versus those other fossil fuels and nuclear and others might not be desired as much. And when data centers land, they really have that power to add, you know, megawatts upon megawatts, hundreds of megawatts at a time as they're growing, say, over two to five years, whenever they start to whenever they come to fruition on a particular site to drive that. And again, that can be done with those RECs and PPAs, but also with their own renewables and own on site generation. That's one of the reasons why we talked about. Fuel cells today is because we're also looking at the limitations, those power constraints at all of these different sites. And we might see those coming soon to locations, including the major data center hubs that you think about. So, think of Silicon Valley and the even greatest hub of data centers in Northern Virginia. We might see power constraints coming in the future, especially as more and more power is being provided for more and more data centers. So, if you think about the data center growth versus the infrastructure growth, they're not at the same pace. Because of that, we're likely to see some of these power companies say, well, you know, we originally talked about providing you, say, 100 megawatts at this site, we're only going to provide you, say, 50. And that is a huge hit whenever you're developing a data center and relying on that power company to provide you the power. So if they're doing that, and they do that across the board with a, you know, a certain area, say, northern Virginia, just a blanket area that they're the power company and the you know, the entire state is looking at, that can be a massive effect. So how do you get around that? How do you work with the power companies to figure out what was promised versus what can be delivered? So it does come down to timing and what can be provided and when. So a lot of these power companies are, of course, pushing things out. And we're talking about pushing them out by years. So that can be problematic for many of these data center developers that have already acquired land and started to do rezoning or all of the other things that it takes to go ahead and get the local jurisdictions to approve of a data center and start to get it built. And that's that timing means that if you're looking several years out before you're going to have a data center where you can actually put a server and get it operational, and you're just looking at uh, open land or redeveloped land, that can be problematic for your timing. So suddenly all of these developers might be looking, instead of that major hub of Ashburn and um, some of the, you know, the power constraints that might be hitting there, as well as other locations, people are going to be moving out and moving to other places like um, Quantum Loophole uh, made their move to Frederick Maryland and probably a really wise move. Now, they're probably going to get a lot of business with people that just want to soak up that demand of that data center space that they're looking for. They can't get the power that was originally promised in Northern Virginia. So they're going to provide that elsewhere, nearby, but elsewhere. Now, think about Northern Virginia. Uh, New Jersey, Silicon Valley, they have the same power constraints that Northern Virginia is starting to face, especially as we're looking at those gigawatts that might be coming online in Northern Virginia. Yes, gigawatts from now until 2030. So we'll see what happens with that, with that growing uh, data center market. And also internationally, if you think about London, we mentioned, of course, uh, Dublin and Singapore but those other markets like Frankfurt are also seeing power constraints and what that does to the total load and when those loads are gonna be coming online. And again, it's not just about the capacity, it's about the transmission as well. So let's circle back to what we covered already today and that's with some of the data center needs and what the providers are doing so if you think about what ipi was doing they set up radius data centers radius dc and suddenly they're ready to go on that edge market because they might have had that foresight to look at what those power constraints are and that was probably a tipping point with the moratorium in singapore as well as you know we talked about ireland but also like london frankfurt amsterdam all these other spots where they've had all these restrictions A lot of these companies are looking to then say, well, how can we pivot to provide in other locations and maybe diversify, spread things out a little bit, especially as these, you know, like U.S. markets are looking at their power constraints and what they see as a challenge whenever they're looking to get these gigawatts online. All right, wanted to touch on the overall data center market. Where does it stand? We're at about $220 billion market um, overall, depending on the different studies, but that's one of the most recent studies, um, independent studies, to look at what that market research is now. And then what is it going to be from 2022 to 2030? It's expected to grow at about 5 to 6% year over year to about 3 Hundred and forty-five billion dollars as far as an overall market now that's what the outlook is now and you might say well you know there's some plateauing versus what's happened in the past if you look at just a chart and that means slower growth but for those that are in the financial world you realize that this is massive and still growing and growing at that rate in a lot of markets there's only so much that can be absorbed as far as the amount of money and cash and growth But to do so in the billions at that rate, this is on par with a lot of the tech companies that are out there. And to do so and keep doing so from now until 2030 is going to be huge, even though it might look like it's um, plateauing or, or the curve is slowing down year over year. That's still a massive amount of growth year over year. So, what that tells me is if you're in the data center industry, go ahead and reinvest in it and reinvest in yourself. Um, There's a lot of short sellers out there you might have seen publicized. We've talked about that before as well. But it really means that you should double down on the data center industry, its growth potential, and any training or yourself if you're involved in the industry. So, go ahead and get that extra training involve yourself and go ahead and accelerate tackle those projects that you didn't think could be done before and you'll be able to prove improve your data center and all of its aspects in order to make a greener more sustainable data center and be on the top of this market okay that's the end of our year with the green data center podcast Again, over a year with 44 episodes, thousands and thousands upon thousands of uh, downloads and listens. And thank you for being involved and listening. Feel free to reach out with the website still at any time if you're looking for any information, any guidance, want some help with something. That's thegreendatacenterman.com. We've got links to all sorts of articles, uh, different sites, and to get you involved in the industry quickly. We still have the data center essentials courses on the website and if you go ahead and click on there, you're going to get the deepest discount on udemy.com. It's been a pleasure and again, feel free to reach out at any time if you just want to do a comparison or even talk about some of the data centers that you've seen and see what's out there and do a little bit of a comparison with what I've seen. Thanks again.